In a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick, and it is episode 76, Grounding Practice of Adventure. I wanted to start this episode just kind of like touching in on where we are in life and the season that we're in. It feels like May can be really busy, but I also am celebrating a little bit. As you know, my book launched, so that kind of marked a season of just busy. And I like to say, you know, like, let's choose our busy. Well, now I'm coming off of the busy. And one of the things I'm celebrating this week is I crossed the 200 hours outside. So I've been doing this challenge a thousand hours outside for the year 2022, the entire year, and I'm keeping track on a little tracker. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But I'm beginning to notice, you know, winter was a little hard. I had an igloo to build, so that got me outside every day. And then we made maple syrup, which was a bad year for that, but we still were getting outside doing those things. But it was sometimes just like an hour if we were lucky. And now we're starting to have these longer periods of time outside, partially because it's light out longer, but partially because we're getting better at this. And I think that's part of the practice of adventure is it's hard at first. And sometimes the, I like to call it the discomfortable thing, the thing that is just outside your comfort zone, we have to play with that a little bit. We have to see, you know, what's the next step? What's the next first step? What's the next first step? And slowly over time, you start stacking these different adventures, these different experiences, and you find that you're building a habit. And I'm starting to find that we are building a habit of spending more time outside. It's such a great refresher, I think, from life. And sometimes sometimes it's not even this massively adventurous thing. This weekend, I just took some time and read a book outside, and that's such a great refresher from life. This weekend, we're going to be camping, as I know a lot of people do. We'll be kicking off summer with Memorial Day weekend, and I'm just finding now that I really enjoy some of those things about outside, and I'm going to dive a little deeper into that. But before I do, I need to do a big, huge thank you. There were so many listeners in this little community of ours, (laughs) all of my Sherpas, who have taken the time to read the book, to share the book, to give a written review. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I launched a book last week, Beyond Normal, a field guide to embrace adventure, explore the wilderness, and design an extraordinary life with kids. And it has been an adventure for sure, right? I never really thought I'd write a book. and But my whole desire behind this was this is a way that I can actually put all of my learnings into one place that can help families. And if through the book, I'm able to help more families adventure and connect with my story, not even my story, but like the research and give them practical tips, that would be a win for me. So I'm really appreciating all of your kind words. I'm appreciating all the tags and social media. But I want to say a special thank you today from someone who left an Amazon book review. 
So this one comes from Jenya Lindstrom, and she says, Inspiring for Adventurous Parents. Beyond Normal is a motivating read that inspires me to incorporate adventures into parenting. It's so easy to join the masses, pressuring us to settle down once our kids arrive. Thank you, Heidi, for providing a roadmap for how to create adventures with kids. Heidi also shares many personal experiences that are so relatable as a mom. I've ordered extra copies to share with mom friends and my sisters. Great family inspirational reading and or as a gift for new parents. So I just want to say a huge thank you. And Jenya, I have several other books. I will follow up with a message to you to see if there is another book, not just mine, but other books that I've been reading that I think are inspirational for families as well. So you are the winner of one of those books. I'll be in touch. One of the highlights and one of the things I think I learned from my readers early on in the process was how we were starting to see these shifts in our own well-being. So I talk a lot about thriving and what thriving means. And there's a like a slice of our life that most people call health, I refer to as well-being. And for a couple of different reasons, because I think health I'm learning is more than exercise and nutrition. And some of the ways we've had a a stronger, more well-rounded life is because of adventure. And so I wanted to lean into some of these grounding practices that have led or maybe intersect with well-being. All of the practices that I'm going to talk about today have various benefits, and these are just some of them. For the most part, every single one of them contributes to this collectively and independently. These practices support better sleep. They uplift your mood, can also be indicators for reducing anxiety or reducing depression. They have shown to increase your energy. They improve symptoms with just mental health conditions overall. They lower blood pressure. They lower risk of metabolic syndrome. They reduce, in some cases, heal inflammation. They improve your memory and strengthen your overall immune system. And I don't know that I knew all of these things. I just knew when I started doing some of them or when I was exposed and leaned into some of these practices, I felt better. And there was something about it that I wanted to keep doing. Not always easy, right? It's, I'm not great at building habits. But when I started to lean into some of these practices, I really started to feel a little lighter. And maybe that's what I want to feel in 2022. I just want to feel lighter. A lot of this has to do with neuroscience. One of the things when I was understanding mindfulness and meditation is that there's a key value in noticing. And I think that is really one of the key starting points in all of these practices is just noticing the current moment. I always used to say, like, be where your feet are. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? What sounds are you listening to? What smells do you smell? Do you taste anything? Is this bringing you back to a memory? That experience of just being where your feet are allows you to start noticing. And I think that is really a critical piece in any of these practices, but just in life in general. If you want to talk about life balance, you got to know where you're starting from. So it's a great starting point. Neuroscience has actually shown that you can, with a lot of these practices, you can begin to rewire neuropathways. I'm not going to go into the research around neuroscience, but things like breathing fresh air or laying prone on the floor, things like that help you change your normal state. And really, that's what a practice, a grounding practice does, is gets you out of normal into a intentional state. 
So I'm going to walk through a couple of things. These are just practices that we've either done, maybe things I'm aspiring towards, or things that are on the list that I'm kind of curious about learning more about. One of the first is just daily fresh air. There's been the significant research around the value of fresh air, (laughs) going outside. And that simple thing I mentioned at the very start of this episode that, you know, crossing over the 200 mark, 200 hours, the mark of 200 hours is actually pretty monumental for me. I was like, oh my gosh, it's May and I've already done 200 hours. And this weekend, I did 10 hours in one day. That is a lot of outside time, but I'm telling you, we have a big yard. (laughs) And after that lawn was mowed, I did some weeding. I also read a book. We ate dinner outside. So there was a lot of ways that we were outside. And for us, that fresh air also means that we're exhausted. And I see this with my kids over and over and over again, that when we have a good day outside, and I like quote that, right? Good day outside. I always, like almost 100% of the time, those are the nights that my kids sleep the best, that I sit down at eight o'clock in a chair and I have a hard time staying awake. Those are really good days for good sleep. And sleep, we also know, is so critical to your overall well-being. So my first practice that I would say is how are you getting fresh air every day? And the practice of like going outside, one of the things I've come to love is when I do work at home, around 10 o'clock, I tend to log on the computer at like 7, 7.30 sometimes. And so by like 9.30, 10 o'clock, I just like, whew, I need a break. And one of my favorite things to do is I walk down the stairs and I go out on our front porch and I sit on the steps. Usually my dog is by my side and I just take a deep breath through my nose and out my mouth. And I just notice what is on the porch today. Or what is in the backyard today? And that split second, it's almost like it recalibrates my entire brain, you know, that I can get all of the work stuff off. I can turn it off for just a little bit. And the crazy thing that happens is when that happens, like some good idea or like some refreshing thing happens when I turn the busy off. So fresh air for me, taking a deep breath, going outside and getting a big inhale of fresh air is one of the grounding practices that I'd like to refer to. The second one I want to refer to is something that I'm not good at, but I aspire to be. And that is no screens one hour before bed. This has been a lot of uh, information has come about blue lights and the information like the light hitting your eyes and how it actually stimulates your brain. So the worst thing you can do in the middle of the night is look at your phone When we started to practice not having screens an hour before bed, I have an intention that I have no screens after eight o'clock. Full transparency, it is nine o'clock at night when I'm recording this, so clearly I don't hit that every day, but it's an intention, it's a goal, it's an aspiration, something I'm working towards. When we don't have screens, it allows you to do other things. And so when I was creating this intention, I made a list one day of like, what are all the other things I could do at eight o'clock at night that did not require a screen? And I don't have that list in front of me, but I'd encourage you, what are all the things you could do rather than sitting on the couch and looking at your phone, scrolling anything, scrolling any of the social media, 
make a list of like, what are all the other things you could do? You know, some of them were things I didn't really want to do, like the dishes. I don't really want to do that. And I don't really want to do laundry. But those are things that were on the list. And every night for a while, when I was really good at this, I would look at the list and say like, which one do I want to do right now? And sometimes I chose to go to bed because that felt the most enriching. And I would lay in bed and sometimes I would read in bed if I couldn't fall asleep. But I've really been trying to practice other things that I can do. So my suggestion for this one is make a list of all the things that you could do at eight o'clock at night that don't require a screen. The next kind of section, there's probably like three or four in this section, are related to sensory-based experiences. One of my favorite things to do I often take the kids to something, whether it's a piano lesson or a sports thing or drop them off at a friend's house. And I have this small space, this little window of time where I don't have anything that I have to do. One of my favorite things to do is an auditory walk. I will just walk and I just listen to everything around me. And it's just a casual walk. I'm not I try not to think, which is nearly impossible. You're designed to be thinking. But I try to notice. Once I was walking in town and I noticed this squirrel up above on the telephone pole, like on the, or maybe not telephone pole. Boy, that's an old age. Do they even have telephone poles anymore? I guess it was on the power line then. It must have been that. And I'm watching this squirrel and I was like, I never knew squirrels made that much noise. And it was like this clicking noise. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what else makes noise while they're moving. And then I began to notice that the birds were singing while flying. And I was thinking, gosh, I wonder if that's like talking when you're running, right? Because you kind of like get out of breath. (laughs) Anyway, you can see where this went. But I started to notice things differently. You start to pay attention the things that you probably wouldn't have noticed otherwise when you just accelerate or amplify one of your senses and you get really intentional about just listening. They say too, if you close your eyes or if you ever do a night hike, you're losing the sense of sight and that actually amplifies all of your other senses. So an auditory walk is just getting intentional about how can I amplify my auditory sense or my listening sense. Another piece of a sensory experience is to get tactical. How can I touch things differently? One of the things I've read about, and this is a little like, I don't know the science behind this, but I can tell you when I do it, it definitely has this like calming sense. And that is to get barefoot and walk outside. The feeling of the bottoms of your feet touching a different type of texture, even if it's concrete, I usually walk in grass because I have bad feet, is interesting. Like There's a connection that happens. You start to really notice how your body almost like sinks into the ground. That sounds a little woo-woo, but I'm I'm telling you like there's something centering about being barefoot and connecting your feet to the earth in some way. So regardless of what it is, or even if you think it's weird, I'd encourage you to try that. Take off your shoes. You know, we're coming up on summer, so it's not as awkward to get your shoes off or go barefoot. You might have sandals on, but just walk without a purpose in the sand or on the grass or even just a little bit on the concrete just to feel that sense, that tactile sense. What does it feel like when my feet touch the earth? 
And just notice, again, these are all just grounding practices to help you get to that stage of noticing. There's a lot of data that would suggest natural light exposure. In terms of in Wisconsin, obviously, we have seasonal depression is very rampant because of the amount of darkness that is avail- around, you know, this time of year. I guess that's true in a lot of places, but the further north, there's obviously more darkness for longer periods of time. And the natural light, the sooner you can get outside or, I mean, you can buy a light if you wanted to that has gives you like 15 minutes. You don't need a lot. But 15 minutes of natural light actually helps your body. And I don't have, I'll I'll link to a research article in the show notes about what that does. It actually helps recalibrate some of your hormone levels that tell your brain it's time to wake up. So you're a little bit more alert going into that day, which is maybe why a morning walk would be a good habit to create. I don't know. I think about those things, but I don't always do those things. So the natural light, I always say natural light before noon because not natural noon, it just seems to stick better. It helps me. That practice that I was just telling you earlier, the fresh air and the natural light, I'd really try to just go outside, have light on my face, let my body be in fresh air. And there's something that kind of helps wake you up. And I think that also has the reverse effect too with the use of blue lights or screens um, kind of interferes with those natural circadian rhythms. That's what I was looking for earlier. It's not hormones. It's your circadian rhythms. If I was to add one more, if we're kind of leaning into our different senses, the sense of smell is one of the most vivid recall of memories. Let me tell you a story. It is May and everything is in bloom here in Wisconsin. And I walked up to our blooming lilacs and I was immediately thrust back to sixth grade when I don't know why, like this isn't even a monumental event, but I remembered a classmate of mine cut a bunch of the blooms of lilacs off of the tree and she brought in bouquets for all of the teachers. And I just remember the teachers being so excited and they had us all come up and smell the lilacs as like the sign of life and of spring. And this teacher was very exuberant, right, in the experience. And I just remember that. So I walked out today. The kids are climbing in the lilac bush. And all I can think about is sixth grade and smelling the lilac bush in our our classroom. So smells are often very triggering and they bring back a lot of memories. So without like intentionally putting smells into stuff, I do associate a lot of really fond memories with certain smells. Some of them aren't all great, by the way. Uh, Raw meat is still a smell to this day that will clear me out of a room in no time at all. So there are things that can go bad. I'm not trying to make this beautiful, fluffy type of experience, but smells do have the greatest recall for vivid memory. On a very different perspective, I'm going to switch gears. I mean, we've all been talking about kind of the natural, the tactile things. There is significant research, though. If we were to think really about adventure and there's like some component of risk involved, there is an interesting actually quite a bit of research around like occupational and physical therapy research that has gone into the importance of getting people out of an upright position. So with kids, this is things like flipping upside down on the swings or spinning around in a circle or, 
you know, anything that really gets them out of this upright position. Maybe with adults, it's yoga and getting into the prone position or in an inverted position. I know a lot of yoga instructors, like that's the goal is to get inverted. This helps with the development of your inner ear, with your balance, with coordination. And this is a precursor to a lot of different areas of development. There's a piece in my book where I talk very closely, actually a better resource. I mean, you can read my book. That would be great. But there's a better resource. And that book is Balanced and Barefoot by Angela. Again, I'll link it in the show notes. I think it's Hoscomb. Hoscomb. It's easy for us to consider that children and adults are doing those things and they're not safe. And I just had this thought today when my son flipped upside down on the rings on the playground. And I at first was like, be careful. And then I realized like that is the biggest waste of breath in my life. Like every time I say that, my kids will probably do the opposite thing anyway. So why do I bother? (laughs) And then I thought, you know, why do I keep saying that? I went and started to swing on the rings and thought, hmm, when's the last time I flipped upside down? And, you know, that could be dangerous, right? I mean, that's definitely risky at my age when you haven't done that in years to pretend you're six years old and swinging on the swings and flipping upside down. I did do it. And I kind of was like, ooh, that was thrilling. No wonder why kids want to do this. It's so much fun to flip upside down and all around. And then I got back to thinking in parent mode, like, what did I think was going to happen? That the odd chance that my son was going to magically let go and land on his head? Like, what are the odds that that's going to happen? I think we've become so ingrained in being safe and creating stability that we start to dampen kids' ability to take risks and really deprive them of the joy and the elation that comes from those kind of fun, spinny, flipping movements that really are innate to childhood. And adults. Adults rarely engage in those experiences unless they're intentional about them. So that's a grounding practice I'd encourage you to do. And I'm not saying you have to get upside down, but maybe get down to the floor, lay flat, or maybe do a downward dog position where your bottom is in the air and your head is below you. You know, the different things that can get you out of a sitting or upright position can be really helpful and really grounding. I was recently laying on the floor doing a puzzle We have this little puzzle board and it's been sitting under the couch for months. And for whatever reason yesterday, I decided I wanted to work on the puzzle. And I laid on the floor and soon, shortly after, all of my kids were laying on the floor. And I thought, oh, this is so much fun. I was remembering, you know, when I was going back to like conflict management days or understanding leadership and power dynamics, I was reminded that a lot of times in our society, when we are interacting with other people, there's objects between us, and those objects can steal energy. So for example, at the dinner table, if we sit around, there's still like a table in between us, and that table can be a barrier between me and my son or whatever that is. And I've also learned that when I sit shoulder to shoulder with my middle school child, It's much easier to have a conversation than when we're face to face. So getting out of the upright position also has given us opportunities to be more comfortable and connect on a deeper level because there isn't something between us or we're not in a position to be confrontational. I'm not asking or quizzing my child. He's not in trouble. He's not being talked to. We're having a conversation like buddy to buddy as opposed to like teacher to student kind of interactions. 
And that's not modeled very often, but I realize, and these aren't like intentional things, right? I just got down on the floor because I wanted to make a puzzle. But what happens is when we lay down on the floor, we were laying on our bellies, kind of surrounded in a circle around this puzzle. We had some just really honest, authentic conversations. We were just talking about life. And I felt that that was a great experience, even though it wasn't thrilling, it wasn't risky. It was a new experience that took us out of the norm, and it was very connecting. I want to dive into this theme of connection to end the episode today. I have spent, I don't talk about this very often on the podcast, but I have spent, in my W-2 job, I help a family foundation essentially with their giving strategy. So my job is to help give money away. The family's very invested in mental health and basic needs. And over the last 18 months, I have been studying human connection. What makes connection strong? How many connections do we need? What's the research behind human interactions and social connections? And I will link, again, a research study. There's a lot of research. You're going to know I'm a little bit of a junkie here today, but I will link a, a research study in the show notes because I think sometimes we have it all wrong. I think we focus on the surface level problem And so the surface level problem might look like we need mental health services, which we do, right? I'm not denying that we don't need those. I'm just saying like that's sometimes where we stop. We think about access to treatment or the quality of treatment. We think about stigma and awareness. But at the bottom, like if you keep pulling that thread, one of the fascinating statistics that I found was in 1986, the average American averaged four deep friendships. So these are people that you said were a close friend. I could call you in an emergency. I really felt like we had a good relationship with each other. The average in 2010 was one. However, that's still the average. And they found staggering difference between zero and one, meaning we have more tools than ever to connect And there's a large portion of our society that feels they have no one that they can call, that they can talk to, that they can be vulnerable with. They feel very alone. The research around human connection actually shows that it has, without human connection, the health benefits and the well-being of our society is actually dramatically reduced. From an exponential health and well-being position, connection really is one of the core ingredients to a thriving life. And we might not all think of it the same way and connection might look very different. But through these grounding practices, I call them adventures because these are usually things that aren't comfortable, that aren't something I would see every single day or something I would do naturally every single day. I am getting better at finding ways to connect with my kids, at finding ways to connect with other friends or other moms or other families. When we approach things from health and exercise, those are important. I'm not trying to say they're not important, but there's a lot more to that, right? There's a lot that goes into health and well-being and and just the nature of why we adventure. So I want to go back to like these benefits of sleeping better, of increasing your mood, increasing your energy, Reducing inflammation, improving your memory, and overall just strengthening your immune system. And yet all of these things, they don't require a gym. They don't require a membership. They're things you can do by taking off your shoes and stepping outside. They're things you can do by laying on the floor, 
There are things about how I can change my body position when I'm standing next to someone. These are really simple things that you don't have to have it right and it's not going to be comfortable the first time, but I think they're grounding practices that can help you find deeper connection, both with yourself, with your family, and maybe even the environment or nature. I go into a lot of detail and I know that I've had other episodes where I talk about the healing properties of adventure and really why that was the thing I landed on, that I resisted the settling down narrative. Like, you're a mom, now it's time to settle down, you need to stop adventuring. No, adventuring was really what helped me thrive. The research continues to emerge and now I think people are understanding that there's significant benefits to time and nature, to practicing discomfort. And these grounding practices can offer a new path and perhaps a path that has always been there and maybe return to some of the native pathways that has been hushed over centuries. I think this episode is really just meant for a reflection. If this is something you're intrigued by and you want a little help, you want a little support, you want to try it, you want to test it, I do have an everyday adventure challenge. Now, not all of the things in the everyday adventure over the next 60 days, actually it runs June 5th through August 5th, are going to be based on these practices, but there is this level of intentionality. There are some things that will ask you to get outside your comfort zone that'll help you start to do some of the reflective practices to ground you, but through adventure. There are other things as well as a part of that. What the Everyday Adventure Challenge does is it gives you a nudge. It gives you like this outside reminder that it's time to do a little adventure in your life and you get a little accountability alongside of it with me kind of cheering you on saying, hey, what's it been like? How you doing this week? I will say with all of that said that we are not doing formal meetups or anything like that. So I am running a promotion for the summer These will just be online experiences. And if you have any questions related to that, feel free to reach out or you can register at OrdinarySherpa.com backslash challenge. Again, that'll all be in the show notes. It's a great way to get a little extra help or extra support to get outside that comfort zone, to get intentional and really dive deeper into what is a practice that helps ground me in connection. All right, I have five key takeaways from this episode. Number one, how are you getting fresh air every day? Number two, what are all the things that you can do at 8 p.m. without a screen? You might be surprised what you come up with. Look at the list and decide what do I want to do tonight? Number three, when you remove one of the senses, it amplifies all of the others. Which sensory adventure would you like to try? Remember, an adventure is a new, uncomfortable, or potentially risky experience. Number four, kids innately move in risky ways that make parents gasp. These are developmentally important. In fact, I would challenge any adult listener to explore getting out of an upright position and explore a risky position for you. This does not mean you have to grab the rings and do a flip. Number five, All of the practices today are accessible to you by simply taking off your shoes, putting down your phone, laying on the floor, or stepping outside and inhaling fresh air. They might not seem normal, but when was normal ever the benchmark for a thriving life? I hope you found something intriguing from this episode that encourages you to try a little bit different practice, something maybe beyond normal. No pun intended, but until next week, I hope you keep on adventuring and I look forward to talking with you soon. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. 
subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.